Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hey everyone, welcome to After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. I'm John Steele, and I'm glad you dropped in today. Hey, if this is your first time joining us, or if you've missed an episode or two before this, I'm going to recommend that you push pause right now, go back one episode, and give that one a listen first. Today is actually a part two of my conversation with C. Terrence, a Marquette University alum. We covered a lot of great topics last week, and I'd hate for you to miss out. And we pick up right in the middle of that conversation today as we continue to talk about parenting, faith development after college, and growing in your vision for work and living out your faith there. So once again, if you're not caught up, go back and listen to part one now. I will not be held responsible for any of the epic spoilers, so consider yourself warned. Enjoy. One of the things that I love about doing this podcast is talking to people like you, C. Terrence, who helps remind me that the world is so much more complex than the story that's going on in my brain. To think about the fact that there are people like you who are having these conversations with multiracial, interracial families that have all of these different narratives that are feeding into the realities or the perceived realities of who they are and that they have to hack through the weeds of these stories. That is a hero's work there. Well, hopefully what COVID-19 and the pandemic has taught us is how to ask, what is the community's responsibility to this very challenging thing? I don't even have to ask you the question. We're in it together to deconstruct racism right, white supremacy and all those different sort of things. So what does it look like for us as a community to really be authentic in that conversation? Because the hope is for both of our kids to be fully realized as humans, as children of God, who can live out their full promise of who they could be. I pray that we don't make these things more simple, but I pray that we can take on more complexity together. We're all complicated people. And so for you to be fully loved isn't to make you more simple, right? It's for me to love wider into your full complexity. And I don't think that's intuitive to us. It's intuitive for us to make things more simple because we have so many things going on. And think about that, just thinking about like, what do we think cooking for dinner tonight? Like, <laughs> I struggle with what to cook for dinner tonight, you know, because that's what's more in front of me all the time. And I think we just have a propensity to simplify our lives until our, our most immediate needs. And that's okay, because I think it's not just for me to individually hold or for you to individually hold. It's for us to hold together in its full complexity. This isn't my conversation every day. It's more like, hey, go put that toy away. Hey, <laughs> I said it's time to go to bed. Hey, it's not the everyday life, but they tend to be the overarching things that we're going to carry for years. And learning how to scale that conversation as your kids grow. How do I have these conversations well that's helpful for our young children and that sets us up for having more complex conversations as they get older? And I wish I knew fully that answer. Hopefully they see it more just in our actions day to day. Say, for example, if I say to Cassius and Coretta, recognizing that we need to address climate change in our lifetimes is an important value of mine. You say, okay, dad, what are you doing for that? 
And to me, it's like, okay, I ride the bus. In a non-pandemic time, me and Cassius, we sat on a bus going to daycare. We bike a lot. We chose to live into a smaller house. We can name a bunch of things that we do that reflect those values. So I would start much smaller than the bigger conversation. What would it look like in your life to live out in these values? So if we're saying, hey, we want a diverse group of friends, like diversity is really important, but then they only see you hanging out with a small subsect of people, then you can't really talk to them concretely about what diversity at its best looks like. And so I think for them, I don't start with like the, so let me tell you about slavery. (laughs) Like, you know, like, I don't like, (laughs) this is not our day-to-day conversations. It's these much smaller, at some point, they're going to have to decide their own values. I view our job as parents is to introduce them to that way of thinking, give them their own tools to evaluate, but then you're going to have to make your decision and own that for yourself. You know, I first view that if my kids are going to view me as a person who can speak into those values, I first need to have a good relationship with them. How can I get you to trust that I'm acting in your best interest? Let's have this podcast in 18 years. And I'll let you feel successful. How about for you? I I was curious for you. Like, how's it look like for you? Yes, I can very much identify with something that you just said. Something that's been at work in my mind is my recognition of my desire for control. I want to be able to order how things are going to happen. And that includes the way that my child is going to act. That when I ask her or tell her to do something, that her response is, okay, daddy, and that she does it, which sounds like a very desirable outcome. And I don't think there's anything wrong with me wanting that outcome, but I'm realizing that there is a difference in trying to motivate her towards that outcome. There's probably lots of options, but there's two that come to my mind. One, does she obey because I'm her dad and she's supposed to obey and there will be consequences if she doesn't? Or do I want her to obey because she knows that the things that I'm asking her to do are in her best interest and that she does this out of a sense of trust, even if her two and a half year old brain isn't totally, yeah, you know, it's not, <laughs> no, it's not, she's there. not thinking exactly that. Yeah, yeah. She's not thinking through this, but it's being developed of, I can trust my parents when they ask me or tell me to do something that this is for the best. And obviously we get it wrong. Sometimes we don't ask them to do the thing that's the best for them because we're human as well. And we screw that up, but that on the average, I'm asking her to do something because it's what will be best for her or what will be best for the people around her, not just having a me mentality, but what will actually serve the people around you well, and that those are good things to strive for, which for me plays so much into how do I view my obedience to God? Am I being obedient to him or not being obedient to him because he's just a power hungry God who says, do this because I'm telling you to do it end of story? Or am I recognizing that God's way really is the best way and that being obedient to him is like coming home? That being obedient is living into the best option, even if it's the hard option. Those are some of the things that go on in my mind as I'm thinking about what does it look like to raise children that are growing up to be thoughtful about why they do what they do? Well, now you just tinkered in my brain because I'm horrible (laughs) <laughs> this idea of obedience. I think my parents would tell you, you know, you tell him what to do, he's not going to do it. So, he, you know, <laughs> it's like, uh, that's funny. I'm trying to learn to be a, a better child of God at the same time. So see, Terrence, we've sort of touched on some of these things in some really unique ways, but I wanted to ask a little bit more directly about it. As you're thinking about what your own faith development has looked like since leaving 
school. And as you're developing for yourself and wanting to lead your children into that, wanting to lead other communities of people into that, what does it look like to one, be pursuing a faith community post-college and two, to be growing as a faithful follower of Jesus yourself? What does that journey look like for you? You know, getting to the Twin Cities was a really big deal. One of the other great things about moving here was the family that my wife's family is closest to, the Edwards family, Dr. Reverend, Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards was Hannah's pastor when she grew up in D.C. He married us, but then I don't know, I'm sure so many people say this about him, but Dr. Edwards was just amazing for my transformation. He just wrote this great book called Might from the Margins that I recommend everybody to read that talks about this theology of adjusting racism and all these other oppressions in our society, which is critical for me at that time, because I think there was this pull for me to like, those two things are two different things, and I'm going to choose which one I'm going to focus on. And so I think I had to repair that bridge at the beginning, and coming to Sanctuary Covenant was big in that. And I don't think it was necessarily what Dr. Edwards was saying from the pulpit, but it was the community that I was around who seemed to be just as interested in that conversation. Now, I do think that's a conversation for the church as a whole, but I, you know, I recognize that different people have different questions that are really important to them in the context of their faith, but being in that specific community that you're in week in and week out who are invested in some of the same questions that you are makes you feel not crazy. I can't think of how many times in my faith I just felt crazy for thinking the things that I've done because of the faith tradition that I grew up in that said, hey, those aren't the questions that we ask. And I'm sure a lot of folks have had that experience, but I didn't want to feel crazy in my faith even though there's like this notion of, like, Lord, I'll walk where you want me to walk, even if I'm the only one, right? We'll say that, but that actual experience of doing that doesn't feel good. <laughs> like it doesn't feel good. You feel like you're wrong all the time. And look, I'm open to that. I'm sure I'm wrong about many things, but like feeling like you're the only one and you're wrong altogether is not a great feeling. So I think being in a community that made me not feel crazy, who was once again, sort of patient with my way of being, but also me submitting myself to other thinking and other ways of being. It's something I had to learn in my faith, to be honest. I recently learned that Terence means like Thor in Norse. It also means smooth. So I sometimes, I've joked with my family, call me smooth Thor. But like I am thunderous about things that I believe. And I had to sort of learn that there's a place for that at times and to be softer and to use the smooth part of Terence, the tender part of Terence, which is the Latin translation of Terence. This is what water does to rock that sort of shapes you over a longer period of time. And I had to just submit myself to that. Feeling myself in this community that made me not feel crazy and was patient with me and me learning to be patient with them, I think has been my faith journey over the past eight years. And it's not always up, up, up all the time. You know, there's these down moments. And I think we have to talk about, I think, you know, this last election, a lot of fracturing in the church just simply off of the way people voted, right? That's a very real thing that people feel crazy about for feeling a certain way. And it goes back to the university. What is that loving community who's patient with each other, but authentic and honest and sometimes thunderous with each other that I think I had to find and be part of creating. I think it's interesting asking me this question because I don't feel wise about this at all, but I do think it has been my journey. I think one of the things that I appreciate what I'm hearing you say throughout our conversation here is that you have been or have continued to learn how to be open to 
learning along the way of being taught and being directed. Because I feel like we live in a time where it is, you either think this way or you think this way. Pick one and that's your way of thinking. And I'm going to tell you right now, one of them's right and one of them's wrong. That feels like what I'm being asked to do, whether it's in my faith or if it's politically or fill in the blank thing. And that there is a need for stepping into a posture of learning as you're entering into these communities of what are the things that we need to learn from one another and to sit through the hard things, to talk about the hard things, to give those things space and to keep moving together, even in the midst of difficulty. And it sounds like you've stepped into communities like your university community, where you were a force of this is something we need to talk about. These are things that you guys need to be learning about. And I'm going to help you learn about these things that you've had those places of being the agent of helping teach and learn. But then you also talk about your faith community of like, this is a community that was helping me learn how to learn, how to be open and to be a rock that's being smoothed out by water. And I feel like that is just such a vital testimony to bring to people. Enter in with some humility and with a posture of openness, knowing what your foundational pieces are of saying, I will not flex on these things. There are those things. I mean, I think even just any good theologian would tell you there are things you should not compromise on. Absolutely. That's right. (laughs) But then there are those things you should say, I'm open to being wrong about this. Help me see what I don't see. Because we all have these blind spots. And that's why we need these communities that can help shine a light on the things that we, because we don't know what we don't know. And we need people to help us see what we don't know. I like to believe that in our faith, it should be really easy for us to shed certain allegiances. You know, it should be easy, I think, to shed your allegiance to the United States of America as a Christian, because the end project of our faith is not to uplift (laughs) the United States of America. Our political ideologies should be easy for us to shed. At the end of the day, my faith tradition is not calling for Democrats or Republicans or whoever to reign supreme. At the end of the day, my allegiance in my faith, or my faith, I think she's a get out of that allegiance language. My faith calls me for you to be you, John, and anybody who's listening to this, to be fully loved, to break the chains of oppression that might be around you, of which for all of us, there are some, and to live in this heavenly future in which we are fully realized as these children of God. That's the thing that my allegiance is to. And so I think it's out of that recognition that you can't help but be, you have to shed some things to get to that. To get to you, I need to shed some things and I should be okay with that because that's not what my faith is calling me to hold. I think that has also been one of the things that's been really hard for me to wrestle with, seeing how hard it can be for us to let go of some of those ideologies. And I, I know that there are places that I'm holding on tight to things that I don't even recognize that shouldn't be a part of who I am, that inform the decisions that I make or the things that I think and the things that I do that I don't even recognize, but at the same time, Really, it is simple, but there's a difference between simple and easy, I suppose. The simple thing should be saying, how did Jesus live his life? How did he teach us to live our lives? And what does it look like to pursue that above all else? Even if it means that I'm weaving in and out of camps at times, or that I'm just walking a road that's totally separate from any of these camps and saying, I'm here to follow Jesus in the direction that he's going. I'm not here to follow a particular leader outside of that. It's so easy for us to fight for all of these other kingdoms, none of which are the kingdom of heaven. Right. Super easy. And it shouldn't be. Really. And it shouldn't be. I mean, so challenging, so good to be thinking about those things. See, Terrence, another thing that I want to ask that is still in the realm of your faith 
And that is knowing the conversations that you're having, the things that you're teaching on campus, the research that you're doing, what does it look like for you to be a follower of Jesus in this academic setting and just in the world that you're in? So it's, it's good. In the broad sense, there's this thing called academic freedom where people have a whole bunch of beliefs and inklings that are all catered to and have a space at a place like a university. But the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because of my faith. So I don't really feel that difference. I think like maybe some people have jobs where they're just like, you can be a person of faith, but maybe what you're doing, you don't feel like is advancing your faith. Some people just feel that difference. For me, again, it's like, you know, this values, faith way of living that I do, like it's all caught up. Oftentimes there's more direct conversations about faith. I think that happen amongst coworkers and people that we work with and working with churches, even more specifically, something that I've done a number of times over my career. So it's not a foreign thing in the more overt ways of my work. I'm not like a stop and pray out loud kind of person. And I think it's just like similar to my values and that I don't talk about them. Like my values are just things I'd rather you just see rather than the things that I talk about. And then if you talk about like, why'd you do that? Well, let me talk about to you where this comes from. And so I think that's the way that it shows up. I do the things that I do. And then occasionally I get into these why conversations. You know, in teaching, particularly as a philosophy guy, you talk about, well, what is this philosophical tradition in which you're teaching this from? So I get into that conversation and it's kind of like, well, here are my inputs that have turned into these outputs. And one of those things is my faith. And so I've been able to have more overt conversations about that. Working in government, it gets a little bit weirder doing that. But I think what I'm doing is my faith. I think that you bring up a really interesting point, or at least there's an interpretation that I'm seeing coming out of this, that I think that most of us, whether or not we recognize it, can identify ways that doing the work that we do is a place for us to live out our faith. I think oftentimes we just lack the vision to understand how my job is an avenue for me to show people what I believe, not just in a, here's a place for me to step up on a, a soapbox and preach kind of thing, but to say the way that you, C. Terrence, are teaching people are opportunities for you just to inject your faith in very real ways. And the same thing goes for the person who works down the street at Quick Trip. For people that aren't in Wisconsin, Minnesota. Yeah, right. In California. Quick Trip, yeah, Quick Trip is a gas station. <laughs> uh, so for, for anybody, a gas station attendant, that is a place where you can live out your faith in very real ways. The way that you interact with people, standing at the counter, having conversations with the person that's buying a coffee in the morning, the way that you welcome them into your store and usher them out into the rest of their day is a way that you can show show them Jesus. It's just a matter of our perspective. It's a matter of our vision of how do I go into this position and look at it as this isn't the thing that's trying to get me to the thing so that I can live faithfully for Jesus. No, this is your opportunities. It's just a matter of your perspective of how you do it. And I think getting clear about where do these dignities come from? The dignities of love, the dignities of truth, and this dignity of work. For me, the rest of those dignities, uh, things that make us inherently worthy Sometimes another way to interpret that is like, oh, having a job that makes you more money is more worthy. And I flat out reject that. If there's this dignity and love and truth and work, it shows up just as much for me as being a researcher. And does that really differentiate from somebody who works at Quick Trip or if you're in California, 76? And I don't think it should. There's two sides of that. It's the way that we can both do that work and how we also value that work. 
you know, philosophy guy, I think our philosophies, our ideologies, and our theologies need to be more present at the forefront of who we are and what we're doing every day than sometimes they actually are. So real ugliness can take its place when we don't keep those things at the forefront of who we are and what we're doing. So I'm just a huge advocate of us being constantly aware. I know it can be exhausting, but I think it's like lifting weights. The first time you start lifting 100 pounds, it's going to be really, really heavy. But then over time, you just got that 100 pounds. And so I think we need to exercise some of these things being at the forefront of what we do in the world much more often. As I'm thinking about the people that are listening right now, in light of what it looks like to step into the mind of C. Terrence, you know, wanting to live a values-filled life and wanting to pursue what it looks like to be this fully recognized child of God, somebody that's created in God's image. As you've been working through all of these things over the course of the last nine years or so, as there's somebody else who's about to embark on their post-college journey, is there anything that you would share with them and say, here's something hopefully that will help set you out well on this journey? I mean, I think the concept of like your life's an arc, not a destination, I think is really important. Don't get overly obsessed with getting to any particular place. We live in such a competitive culture that it's like, hey, get this job that makes X amount of money, that has this title. And then when you go back to your high school reunion in 10 years, you can say you have all. And look, some of those things have its place, right? We have bills to pay. Unfortunately, money plays a role of dignity in American society, right? You want healthcare. Some things are attached to that. But I also think that life is balancing both the urgency of what's needed to be done, but then the patience to do it really well. I'm always trying to balance patience and urgency. When I first left college, I thought that you couldn't have those things at the same time, so they had seasons. But I actually think that they are co-wisdoms together. You use this phrase, and our brokenness. And there's an urgency for us to be healed people. But I think the wisdom of patience along with that is just thinking about and you becoming a fully healed person will sometimes require me to actually ask for forgiveness or for me to slow down and care for the people who I've hurt in my brokenness. I can't do that urgently as much as I can do it patiently. So what I mean by that, so if I hurt you as an individual, I can't just be like, hey, John, like depending on how deep I hurt you, like let's just get over it. That would be a very urgent way to do it, right? So whatever my brokenness has caused more brokenness into you, there's an urgency, like if I can heal that, for what I've done, I want to do that urgently for you. But often it's going to take us a very patient amount of time to get to that point of authenticity, to get to that point of really sussing out what our values are, to really sussing out what your needs are, to hear clearly what God is calling us to do, to get more of a vision of what God's kingdom looks like is a very patient thing. And so there's an urgency that calls you to do that thing, but then a patience to do that thing really well. I think there are going to be so many examples for anybody graduating today. I hope when you hear that, they're just like thinking about something's calling me to do something urgently. Do I have the wisdom to do it patiently? So yeah, balance urgency with patience. Think about this arc that you're on, not just this destination that you're trying to get to. And the more you can just make that real in your everyday life, I think is good. I would imagine that as we're balancing the urgent and the patient, that means that there's also going to be times that we need to step into something before we feel ready to step into it. But if I'm being patient in the midst of this urgent call, I'm slowly but surely going to figure out how to do it better, sort of on the job training. 
Yeah, you know, I think the more valuable knowledge sometimes is being very clear about what you don't know. And our culture does not allow you to be more clear about things that you don't know. Try to go to a political candidate. What are you going to do on this? And I'm saying, I'm not sure, but I'll wait and hear from you. They'd be like, what? No way. Sometimes the more valuable knowledge is knowing what you don't know. And we're not very good at that. I try to be better about that, but we don't have space for that. But we can create space for that. I hope that even this podcast is a place where we can do some of that stuff. Thank you so much for the time that you've given. This has been a blessing to me for sure to have this conversation. I have really loved it. It's just one of those things that continues to open me up to the reality of the world is so much bigger and so much more complex than what my little life often communicates it to be. And that my life is actually more complex than what I think about a lot of the time as well, that I play a role in the complexities of the world around me. Thank you for helping me think about that more today. This is beautiful. No, thank you so much. I sometimes question why I'd even be an interesting person to interview. So I just appreciate you taking the time to do that. Living a values-driven life, becoming a fully loved and fully realized child of God, patience versus urgency. Can you tell we were hanging out with a philosophy major? Great stuff. Thanks again, C. Terrence, for joining for these last couple episodes. You've stretched me, helped me keep thinking about some really important topics. Once again, if you didn't get a chance to listen to part one, go back and do it now. So many great ideas to consider and learn how to implement. Hey, guess what? We still have more episodes coming your way this season, and I know you'd hate to miss them. So take a second right now to follow or subscribe to After 4 on your favorite podcast platform, Turn on notifications on your phone and be ready to catch more of my conversations with alumni over the next couple weeks. You know who else needs to hear them? All of your friends. So do After 4 a solid and forward it on to your other alumni pals and enjoy connecting again over these conversations. Who knows, maybe one of you will even end up on the show at some point. But not next week. Next week is already taken. Tune in then for my chat with Ellen, an alumna from UW-Stout. She has a great story of coming to faith in college and the impact it's had on her family since then. I'm excited for you to hear it. Until then, see you next time, alumni. Alumni.